You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And Luke 11, and uh, you don't need to stand at this point. I'm going to do a little review just to kind of remind you of some of the uh, elements that we've looked at so far in this series, and uh, uh, it's been a help to me. Uh, if I, you know, for nothing else, I know personally just the reminders of the important things to pray about. Uh, what are the elements we've looked at so far? Well, the first was, you know, you get down to Luke 11, it, it says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, that first, uh, that first phrase there, hallowed be thy name, it refers to the fact that God is a holy God. Uh, he is holy. He's different than any of us uh, on, a, on a level far beyond what we can comprehend. When we pray that his name would be treated as holy as it deserves, we are, we are aligning ourselves with God properly. Our view of God is coming into the proper alignment. He's holy and we're not. The difference between me and God is immeasurable. I can't put a number to it. I, I, can't, I can't measure it. And we need that daily reminder that God is so much higher than us and we are low. And it's not because uh, it, we want our self-esteem to be destroyed or we're not trying to make people feel bad about themselves. We're trying to give people a realistic look at who they are compared to a holy God. And if every day you go through the process of being reminded that God is holy and you are not, it can't do anything except help you. It aligns us. It humbles us. It puts us in a position then to receive the rest of the things that he tells us to pray for. He says, thy, thy, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Having a correct view of God aligns us, it places within us this desire to see his purposes fulfilled. If I know that God is holy and I am not holy, and, and I see the difference somehow, even just a small glimpse of the difference between us, it, it causes me to want to desire what he desires. When I see him for who he is, then I want his purposes to be fulfilled. Like Isaiah, when he saw God in all of his glory, his response was, here am I, Lord, send me. When our, our view of God is aligned, it puts us in a position to want what he wants more than anything else. His kingdom means his purposes are advancing. There should be nothing more important to the child of God than, that, than the plans of God, the kingdom of God, his kingdom coming. And we can be actively involved in seeing it furthered by our involvement on a daily basis through the local church in our efforts in spreading the gospel. That's how we can see his kingdom come. That's how we can be involved in his kingdom coming. He says, third, he says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. See, as prideful creatures, we can struggle, well, maybe you don't, but I can struggle with submitting to authority of any kind. I've always struggled with it from the time I was a child, and I don't think that I'm any different than most of you. 
We don't like, we have pride. We don't like to be told what to do. We, we have to be trained or, or taught to submit ourselves to our parents, to submit ourselves to our authorities. But being a follower of Christ means that you have a willingness to accept self-denial, that you are willing to say no to yourself so that you can say yes to God and his purposes. His will is first and foremost in our lives. That's the way a follower looks at following Jesus Christ, a disciple. We're in complete submission. And you think, well, I don't understand why God wants to do things this way, and I don't want to submit to that, but I want you to think about even his son, Jesus Christ, submitted to the will of his father there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Even if he would have, in his human body, would have preferred to, to face something different or to do something different, he still submitted himself to his father. So who are we to think that we don't have to submit to God, our father, as human beings? He's fourth, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. God is a giver who gives good gifts. If, if, we are, if we really align ourselves properly, or the view of God compared to our view of ourselves, the, the, uh, the way that we should see ourselves is that we are beggars sitting on the side of the road with nothing in ourselves to earn what he gives us. We have no right. We have, we've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. Our mindset should be that if we didn't have what God gave us, that we would have absolutely nothing. It's true in salvation in that it's all of grace and it's not of works. And it's true in our Christian lives. Without a daily dependence on God's provision to sustain us, we should assume that we will not make it. We should assume that like a beggar on the side of the road, if we don't have someone generously or graciously give to us there on the side of the road, that we wouldn't have something to eat that day. That should be our mentality when it comes to living our Christian life. God wants us to come to him daily, just like the children of Israel came to God daily and they went, they went out and they picked up the manna every day. He provided it daily. That's how consistently we should pray this request. You know, it's not good enough for us to pray, give us day by day our daily bread once a month. He says, give us day by day. It gives us a very clear, and you say, well, I'm not really sure about this whole do it every day business when it comes to reading your Bible or praying. Well, this is a very clear prayer from Jesus Christ. Give us day by day our daily bread. I mean, it's very clear and very obvious. And I'm not even going to tell you that if you don't read your Bible and you don't pray every day, that, you know, that you're doing it wrong or that you're in sin. But you start to look at, at, at points like this from Jesus Christ's own lips when he says day by day, and you start to see there's some wisdom in us going to God every morning. There's some wisdom in us going to God every night. And I don't know, I don't really even care all that much when you do it. You just need to strive to do it day by day. Just to let him know we're dependent on him every single day. Verse 4, he says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And we, we spent three messages on this verse or this phrase here. And the clear idea in scriptures that God forgives us in the same way we forgive others. There's almost a condition to forgiveness. The point is made that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. If you go back to Matthew 18, you see that Jesus Christ, after telling his disciples to forgive 70 times, 7 times... 
Then he tells a story of a servant who was forgiven by a huge, of a huge amount by his king. And then he turned around and met somebody that owed him a small amount. And he refused to forgive that person even of a small amount when his king had forgiven him of a huge amount. And when the king found out over there in Matthew 18, he had him delivered to prison and he said, until you can pay all that you owe. And the closing verse in Matthew 18 reads like this. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. We must forgive if we expect to be forgiven. The last two messages on this, on this text, or that phrase, we're looking into the life of Saul and seeing how unforgiveness can turn into bitterness. And, and in Saul's life, that turned, it, it destroyed his life by causing him to obsess over getting revenge on David. His inability to move past it was his destruction. And we must choose to deal with an offense properly if we're to remain bitter free. We're all prone to it. We all are susceptible to it. Bitterness seeks destruction. It stains every relationship. Instead of planting the seed of offense, we need to learn to let it go. We're coming to the end of our series, and I don't know if we'll do another one after this, or a couple more, but tonight we're going to look at the last sentence in verse 4. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus taught the disciples how to deal with their past sins in the previous phrase, when he says, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive, also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Those are about the past sins. Well, now he turns his attention to situations that lead to future sin. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's important for us to understand, and I don't have to convince you of this tonight, that we live in a world that is constantly pounding its ideals against us. Constantly. If you've ever been to the ocean, maybe you've, you've stood in the ocean, I have before, and I've stood there when the waves are kind of high. I've stood there when the waves are crashing kind of one after another. And, and after, if they're big enough, you know, you can stand there, you can, you can take it a couple of times, but if the waves are, are coming fast enough and they're big enough, you, you get hit by one and you kind of get your balance. And if they're coming fast enough, here comes another one. And if it catches you when you're just enough off balance, it'll take you down. Well, that's the way that I look at living in this culture. See, we're, we're pounded by the ideals of this culture. We're, we're pounded constantly by the desires that are already within us. We're pounded constantly by temptations to give in to those desires. I mean, I don't have to convince you of that. I don't have to teach you that that's true. You can look around and you know it's true for yourself. You, if just driving down the road and looking at a billboard on the side of the road. I mean, sitting in a fast food restaurant and, and trying to drown out the music that's playing in the background. I mean, there have been times where, you know, my family and I were sitting at a, at a fast food place and, and, and the music that's playing over the speakers, I'm thinking... How did this get approved to be played uh, here at this restaurant with kids here? And then I went to the manager, Brother Chad, at Zesto, and I was like, Brother Chad, you can't, you can't play that kind of music. I've got families out here. I'm oh, just kidding. That, that was not very nice. I've got to gather myself here. 
You've been there before, though. You know what it's like. You're sitting in a restaurant, and you're trying to, you, you wish you had more hands to cover your kids' ears. You're, you're, you're uh, maybe walking down the street or just uh, sitting somewhere in your car, and people are walking by you, and just the way they're dressed. It's bom- you're bombarded. It's all the time. You, you turn on a game and, and watch a, f- a football game or something, and just to filter out the commercials, you can't hardly even, le- you can't leave them going. You're just trying to maybe put your head down at work and do your job every day and then to tune out the jokes and to tune out the conversations and the subjects that get brought up by your coworkers. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You, you live there. You're there every day. I don't have to convince you. I mean, just to be online and, and the ads that pop up. I mean, you can't hardly go, you can't go anywhere without, again, being pounded and wave after wave after wave after wave. And you're able to stand maybe against one or maybe against two, but here comes one, another one right on the heels and it catches you off guard. It's tough. These temptations and thought processes pound so relentlessly that it's impossible to continually resist in our own strength. It is impossible to resist in our own strength. And you say, well, I have some pretty solid Christian resolve. I can manage. Well, I'm, I, that's great. I'm glad that you feel that way. And, and, and I'm glad that that means you're better than the Apostle Paul. In Romans 7, and I'm just going to read it. I want you to soak it in. Here's Paul's own words. The great apostle, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. So for a child of God to stand there and say, well, the temptations don't really bother me. They don't affect me. I'm not affected at all. I mean, what I see doesn't really affect what I hear. I mean, it's fine. It's no big deal to me. Well, Paul says, I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. This gets a little confusing. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. This is the great apostle. This is the Apostle Paul. Besides Jesus Christ, you know, I don't know how to put a label on it, but one of the great Christians that's ever lived... And Paul himself didn't live in the age of the internet. He didn't, have, he didn't have some of the temptations that we have, and I know he had plenty that we don't have, but don't think that you're above it. Don't think that you're impervious to it and that it doesn't affect you and that you're going to stand there and be strong and it's not ever going to take you down. I'm glad you can stand strong, but us average Christians like Paul... The rest of us, we, we have to live in, in a different reality. I hope you can sense the sarcasm there. We all need to hear this. Jesus Christ said, you need to pray this. This needs to be part of your daily prayer life. The waves of temptation constantly pound against us. It will eventually take down even the strongest Christian if he or she is trying to resist it in their own strength. So what does Christ say we should pray for? Well, he gives us a very helpful reminder when you're constantly being pounded 
And we'll get to that, the point here in a moment. I first want to understand what this verse is not saying. And first, what the verse is not saying is it is not saying that God tempts man to sin. It's not saying that. I mean, you may think it may sound like it. At face value, you read the statement, and if you just accept what it says on a shallow level or just face value, it could sound like Christ is telling the disciples to ask God not to tempt them to sin. And, but to understand that, it's good for us to consider the context of other scriptures. So keep, keep your place here in Luke 11, James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. Love the practicality of the book of James. James chapter 1. I'm going to read three verses here. And beginning in verse 13, it says in James chapter 1, verse 13... Wait till you get there. It says, verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I think James pretty much clarifies for us that God does not tempt us to sin. He doesn't dangle the carrot of sin in front of our face. That's not how he works. He doesn't tempt us to sin. James James explains that enticement and temptation to sin arise from within us. You have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. We were all born with it for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We have a sin nature inside of us and thus we have a natural leaning towards sin. We have an enticement that is within us. We're drawn to sin internally. We're partial. It appeals to us. We have a sin nature. There are also, though, so that's what James says very clearly. It's not God tempting you to sin. You are tempted to sin because you're a sinner. You're tempted to sin because you have a sin nature. There are also external temptations. Satan tempts us to sin. You know, Satan wants nothing more than to entice God's people into breaking God's law. I mean, in in the first few chapters of the Bible, Satan is already, for his first recorded act, is him trying to deceive Eve into committing sin. It didn't take him long to get started. He he was already there trying to get her to trip up. We we go to Matthew 4. We're not going to turn there, but we could go to Matthew 4, and it it calls Satan a great, or calls him the tempter when he came to tempt Jesus Christ. It's so much a part of his nature that he carries the title. He's the tempter. So we can be, we are enticed internally, we're enticed by Satan, this, and we'll talk more about him in a moment, we're also enticed or tempted to sin by other people. Proverbs 1.10, it's a, a kid's song that uh, my kids have been singing since they were little, if sinners entice thee, don't give in, maybe you don't know that one here, we need to teach it, it's a good one, um, say no, and then you get to clap, so it's even better, it's interactive. If sinners entice thee, don't give and say no, say no. Okay, so you teach it. Go home and sing it tonight. It's good. Proverbs 1.10. But you know what it says? What it's saying is, it's not just internally that you're just enticed of your own. It's not just Satan enticing. Um, young people, other people can entice you to sin. You can be tempted to sin just by being around the wrong people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It's not just true for young people, it's true for adults too. 
who you surround yourself with uh, will very likely determine where you end up. So we have this internal temptation that comes with our own sin nature. We have external temptation that comes from Satan. We have external temptation that comes from others. But this verse, verse fits within that context. It's not saying God tempts us to sin unless we pray and ask him not to. Uh, that's not the point. God doesn't tempt us to sin. It's very clear. But be careful, though, because even though God will not tempt us to sin, there are times when God will allow us to be in a position where we are tested. You say, well, so don't take it so far to say, well, God never puts us in a place where we're tested because there are times that he does. And I'm not always saying that he's putting us in a place to be tested uh, to see if we'll sin or not. Very often he puts us in a position to, be, to test our faith, to test our obedience. And you say, well, well I'm, the Bible said God doesn't tempt. Well, it's not talking about sin specifically uh, when you think about Abraham in Genesis 22. Think about that. Here's Abraham, and uh, after years of hoping that God's promise would become reality and that he would have a son, Isaac is born, and born in, a- in Abram's old age, or Abraham's old age. And then what did God do when Isaac was old enough in Genesis 22? He said, take Isaac, that boy you waited on for all of these years, the one that you love, go up to Moriah, and I want you to kill your son Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. I mean, so we can't say that God never tests a man because he does. And here's Abraham obeying every step of the way, even to the point, and if you can imagine this, dads, I can't imagine this, your own son, I have one son. And I cannot imagine having my son laying on that altar with a knife above my head, ready to strike him down because that's how much I have faith in my God. I can't even imagine that. And I'm afraid that if I was Abraham in that situation, I would fail that test miserably. But here's Abraham, knife above his head, and then God says, wait, stop. The angel says, stop. And he looks over in the thicket, there's a ram. And he takes that ram and sacrifices that ram. It's a type of Jesus Christ. Love the story, but God did test Abraham. And he tested Abraham to increase his faith. And Abraham could have chosen to sin, but God did not tempt him to sin. God put him in a position to be tested. He tested Abraham to increase his faith and improve his disobedience. God put him in the situation, but God wasn't the one dangling the carrot to sin. If Abraham had sinned in that situation, it would have been because Abraham's a sinner. So God doesn't tempt us to sin, but he does have a hand at times in keeping us, maybe putting us in situations in which we might sin. He tests us. You know, there's a strong connection between the first half of the phrase there in Luke 11. You can turn back over there, Luke chapter 11, verse 4. There's a strong connection between the first half of the phrase and the second half of the phrase, and it gives us a good idea of Jesus Christ's context here. And this is where it gets interesting, you know, when you start to study and look into some things, I, I, I think it's, it really does get interesting when you kind of get a deeper look here. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. See, the first half of the phrase says, lead us not into temptation, and it's connected with the second half, deliver us from evil. So we can connect the two and say the context of temptation 
is how it relates to the word evil. It says, again, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It brings, us an interesting, it brings up an interesting point. If you look at the word evil in your Strong's Concordance, if you don't have a Strong's Concordance, you should get one, or you can get online and you can look words up online. The Strong's Concordance will give you the word in Greek, and it will give you the definition of the Greek word. Now, we have the King James Bible is God's preserved word in English. Okay? It's preserved for us. I'm thankful for it. There are times, though, when you look into, into the Greek definition of the words, it adds some color to it. Okay? We, I'm thankful for the King James Bible. I'm thankful that God has preserved his word for us and that we can trust this. This is just a matter of studying. I'm not saying that you go to Greek over English. God preserved it how he wanted it. But evil here, it is the Greek word, poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S is how we would pronounce it. It's in the nominative case, which points to a title or a subject. For those of you grammar um, experts in here, you could explain it more than I could. But it's the exact same word that, I, that I, as I was looking at it and studying it, I realized it's the exact same word we've seen in recent months as we've gone through the book of 1 John. And any time that we see the phrase, wicked one, that title for Satan... Same exact word as the word evil here. In 1 John, wicked one refers to Satan himself. And what, what, what this is pointing out is that it, I really do think that it's pointing to, if not Satan himself, although it is a title, it is a translated wicked one in other places, it is definitely pointing to Satan as the source of evil. His tempting of Eve in the Garden of Eden started this whole mess. Satan is the source of evil. He's where it all started. And listen, you should not discount Satan as the enemy that wants to take you down. Jesus Christ didn't say, lead us not into temptation. Father, help us to make it through the trial. No, there's a person on the other end of the temptation. His name is Satan, and he wants to take you down. Now, I don't want to give him too much credit, more credit than he deserves, but, but I, I think we often overestimate ourselves if we assume Satan is not anybody to worry about. Now, as a balance to that, Satan is not the source of all of our problems. Many of, them, of my problems in my life, if I'm honest with myself, I can trace them directly back to one person, me. So I don't want to blame everything that happens to me in my life that's bad. I don't want to blame it all on Satan. In some circles, Satan gets too much credit. But we were, my wife and I were just talking about that today. But we cannot deny, though, the warnings in Scripture that we have an enemy and he is throwing fiery darts at us. We are, we are, our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Yeah, we've got, there are people, there are forces out there, people, beings out there that we may not even see and they want to take us down. They do. Listen, Satan is a real person. In a lot of places, in a lot of churches, uh, that's not a popular thing to say now. People think it's spooky or that it's weird that you would talk about Satan, but, but Satan is a real person He's not some force. He's not just some evil influence or some mindset. He is a person. He was once holy. Satan once existed in heaven. 
He enjoyed heavenly honors, but through pride and ambition to be like God, he fell from heaven and drew after him a host of angels. You say, well, I don't know, that sounds a little bit strange. Well, you're going to have to uh, talk to Jesus Christ about that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus Christ says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. It's not just some spooky story or something made up to scare children into staying in their beds at night. Satan's a real person. He was once holy, but he had pride. And because of his pride, God cast him out of heaven and he took a bunch of angels with him. And now there's an army. There's a war going on. Satan wants to take you down. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the unholy God of this world. And since the garden of evil... Eden, Eden has been continually been man's great tempter. He's the enemy of God. He's the accuser of the saints. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. It's not anything to be trifling with, folks. And I believe that Jesus Christ is including in this model prayer the recognition that we have an enemy... And that enemy wants to take us down with the enticement to sin. I mean, we have enough to worry about in our own flesh, but we also have an enemy that's trying to trip us up in our flesh. By pointing to Satan's influence with the use of the word evil, the idea behind the request is this. He's not just teaching us to pray to be delivered from being tested. He's teaching us to seek divine protection from the wiles of Satan. As R.C. Sproul stated, he's calling us to pray that we would not be exposed to the devil's onslaughts, to his attempts to entice us to sin, or to destroy our confidence in our Savior by accusing us of our failures and of our imperfections. And you know, Satan is good at that. And we're good at that too. I'm good at convincing myself of a lot of things that are not true. I'm good at my self-talk sometimes. I don't want to be, be all psychobabbly here tonight. But my self-talk sometimes is not, it's, it's not scriptural. And I can convince myself of things that aren't true, but Satan, that's what Satan wants me to do. He's good at causing me to think that way. And, I mean, he really, I, I do believe, according to the Bible, that he is working against God's saints. When you think about all the times in the Bible that Satan tempted God's people to sin, you start to realize that we probably aren't praying enough to be protected from his schemes. I think about Adam and Eve. I've already mentioned them, but they were tempted, tempted to follow Satan instead of their creator. Satan came along and he questioned God's authority. He convinces them to believe that his truth instead of God's truth, and they failed the test miserably. I think about Job, a righteous man who Satan accused of following God just because his, his life was good. Satan came and said, well, God, he only follows you because look at everything he has. Look at all the blessings that you've provided for him. Look how good he has it. Uh, God, he's only doing this because you bless him. And so God gave Satan permission to basically take everything from Job. And Satan came and got permission and he took all that Job had. And Job, though, stood fast in his faith. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. I mean, if, if Adam and Eve failed miserably, Job passed with flying colors. And then the ultimate example 
of someone tested and tempted by Satan is Jesus Christ. It's, and I'd like to preach on it at some point in, in the Gospels, but the Spirit of God, it says the Spirit of God sent him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. 40 days. I mean, Satan uh, came, you know, that he came to Jesus Christ in the wilderness. And I can't imagine what those 40 days were like. Can you imagine? I mean, if you've ever been in a situation, and, and again, I'm not trying to be weird about it, but uh, that you knew that Satan was working against you and that, and that there was something that was tough and it wasn't just of yourself. There's a, sometimes spiritual battles going on. I believe that to be the case. But any, in any case, if you've ever been in a situation where you were tested for a long period of time and you just couldn't get through it and it's, it seemed like it was going to kill you, well, imagine for 40 straight days, Satan continuously testing Jesus Christ. 40 days, I can't imagine. Jesus Christ is out here, he's not eating, he's not drinking. And, and, and every time that Satan would come and attack and tempt Christ, then the word, Jesus Christ, would answer with the word against Satan. Satan left, but if you read... In Luke, uh, over in Matthew 4, uh, he only departed from him for a season, it says. Which means that's not the only time that Satan ever came back and tempted Jesus Christ. There were other times that Satan would come. I wouldn't be surprised if around the cross there were times that Satan was tempting and Satan was fighting against it because he knew that if Jesus Christ went to the cross and rose from the dead, that all of that he was trying to stop would be over and, and, that, and, and God, the gospel would, would be declared and people would be saved. And you know he was trying to stop that. He was, we know that because of his influence in Judas's life. Satan was working against it, trying to stop it from happening. You know, that means he, he came back, he tempted Christ more. When Christ taught the disciples to pray this part of the prayer, here's an important part. He was speaking from experience. He was speaking from experience, folks. He knew what being tempted was like, so he tells them, you better pray. You better pray for God's protection. We should pray, Father, keep us from the places of temptation where we will be assaulted by the fiery darts. Protect us. And we, when we are told to pray for deliverance, it means deliverance from those assaults. God, keep us protected. Don't, don't let us get ourselves into situations where we're prone to sin. And here's some lessons to learn just thinking about Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ was tempted, don't assume you're above it. You know, we're, we're all tempted, but unlike Christ, we're sinners, so the chances are likely that we will give in to the temptation. Second, so first, if Christ was tempted, don't assume you're above it. Second, if Christ used scripture to combat the temptations, don't you think we should too? Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, against God. Verse 3, I'm sorry, number 3, realize that with the Spirit's help and God's word, you don't have to succumb to Satan's attacks. 
You don't have to. As a matter of fact, you have God on your side, which means that you're in the majority. Satan comes along and he tries to convince us that, that he's so much stronger than us and, and he, has, he wields so much power and so much control. But you have the Holy Spirit of God and you have the Word of God and therefore you have everything you need to stand against him. James chapter 4 says, Draw nigh to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You can, with God's help, you can make the devil run away. Galatians 5 says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't have to give in, folks. Romans 6, 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You don't have to lose, as a matter of fact, you've already won. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you want to remain standing when it's all said and done, you might consider making this part of the model prayer a part of your daily prayer life. Because with, with, without it, you are at risk of falling prey to the temptations of the evil one. And can I just uh, mention this tonight in closing? We're, we, we already have internal enticement. We already know that Satan is working against us. We already know that there are others that can tempt us too. So why do we continually make it harder on ourselves? There are some of us in certain areas of your life, of our life, that we, have, we are prone to sin. Listen, if you're prone to the sin of alcohol, which I'm going to call it a sin and not a disease. If you're prone to the sin of alcohol and you still have some in your, in your cabinet at home, it's like you're asking to be led into temptation and delivered to the evil one. If you're prone to the sin of alcohol and you drive home every day, the route that you take takes you right by the liquor store and you're tempted, go a different way. Men, if you struggle in your life with what you look at online and maybe you've dealt with pornography or some kind of issue like that before, and I don't want to get into it too much. I know we have children in here, but listen, the children need to be warned about this as well because it's everywhere. And if you struggle with that, men, and you don't have a filter on your phone, or even, even take it further, why, do you even, why are you uh, even in a position to have the internet on your phone, in your pocket, at all? Ladies, if you, if you have a tendency uh, to uh, gossip with some other person that you're around, it, it might be time to take some steps. Not to dissolve the friendship, but don't put yourself in the position to be led into temptation and delivered up un, unto the evil one. You see how, how this is, it's, it's a very big idea, but it's also very practical. If you have things in your life that you, are, that you deal with in terms of sin, and yet you just kind of walk by it every day, like it's not going to trip you up this time, then you're a fool. And I'm going to encourage you, it's not just about the, the supernatural, well, God protect me, God deliver me. Sometimes we deliver ourselves. Sometimes we put ourselves in a position to fail because we just aren't very smart about ourselves. So I'm going to encourage you, don't just put this all on God's shoulders tonight and say, God, please, you've got to deliver, or lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Well, sometimes that means you've got to take some steps too. Put the phone up. 
Don't browse after 9 o'clock. Don't drive a certain way home. Get rid of whatever's in the cabinet at home. Maybe cut some friendships off that aren't good for you. Maybe delete some music off of your phone. I mean, there are some steps that we all need to take. It's not just about God doing all the work for us. There's some practical things here, too, that we need to think about. I'd be like saying, yeah, God, this is all you. I'm just going to sit here and you just make it all happen. No, we, we can be smart about this, too. Don't lead yourself into temptation and don't deliver yourself up to the evil one. It's a helpful, practical prayer request. And I think that we ought to make this a part of our daily prayer life. Asking God to deliver us. Don't lead us into temptation. Keep us out of those situations uh, and deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one and take some steps every day to make sure that you aren't at risk of falling prey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.